Israel has had several dynamic leaders in its short history. One that stands out more than most is Prime Minister Golda Meir. Today, we're going to spend time looking at her life by bringing in author and biographer Anne Atkins. This is the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katulka. God used Golda Meir, an influential leader, during Israel's rebirth and to lead the country as prime minister through one of their darkest moments. And as Steve just mentioned, author Ann Atkins will join me today to talk about Golda's true grit. And then I want to share with you a story. It's a story about a dangerous undercover mission Golda Meir went on for the sake of peace with one of Israel's Arab neighbors. And then apples of gold. So I was thumbing through the news and I saw that Israel reached out to Saudi Arabia recently requesting a direct flight to the Gulf Kingdom for its Israeli Muslim population. Now, currently there are about 6,000 Israeli Muslims that make Hajj to Mecca every year, and they're forced to make that 1,000-mile journey by bus through Jordan and through the Arabian Desert. President Trump, on his first international tour, flew between Riyadh and Tel Aviv, which was completely unprecedented. And that's why Tel Aviv's Ben-Gurion International Airport communications minister said this, this is a good time to make the request, and I'm working hard on it. You know, Israel is often criticized by its enemies for treating its Muslim citizens as second class, which really is just a lie. And this is proof. Israel is fighting for its Israeli Muslim community by encouraging the Saudis to make it easier for them to travel between their two countries. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like a second-class citizen to me. For the program today, we're looking at an influential player in the history of the rebirth of the state of Israel and really the continued existence of the state. It's a leader many people are familiar with, and if you're not familiar, you're going to want to stay right here, because we are talking about Prime Minister of Israel, former Prime Minister of Israel, Golda Meir. Now, because uh, Golda was a woman of purpose, and she really led Israel during one of its most darkest moments, I feel like I couldn't handle this by myself, and that's why I needed to bring somebody on air who really had an, has an understanding of, of Golda's life, and that's why I'm really happy to bring on author of Golda Meir, True Grit, Anne Atkins. and great to have you on the program. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Chris. And, you know, we're looking at Golda Meir's life today, and uh, you wrote this book, Golda Meir. It's a biography of her life, and you titled it True Grit. And I, I really think it defines Golda's life perfectly. Why did you choose to use this phrase, to embody Golda Meir. Yes, it does. It absolutely, um, succinctly nails her character. And it's not a character that she evolved into. It was a character that is grit. Grit as if it comes from within, because it does. There are uh, stories where she just starts out, even as a little kid, that she just makes a stand for this justice. She can't stand injustice. So even... If anybody wants to understand her life theme, it's not a theme in her life of a threat. It's a tsunami. And she, even as a five-year-old, when she is um, nondescript Jewish family in Russia, there's a pogrom, this gang of people coming down the, the road, Russians. And Golda remembers back to that time. She says, 
if there's any explanation necessary to the direction of my life, that it is the desire and determination to save Jewish children from a similar scene and a similar experience. And she felt that as a five-year-old. Mm. This isn't, you know, yeah. so even as a little kid, she's like, no, and she stomps her foot with this because it's just this grit within her. So True Grit was the only title I could have. How does that True Grit get worked out and how she entered into the political realm? And we're talking about a woman in the 1940s in Israel that's sitting in the chair during the, uh, the Declaration of Independence when David Ben-Gurion was there. How, how did that True Grit get her from point A to point B? For one thing, it needs to always be understood she did not wake up with some political aspiration of, oh, I'd like to be a prime minister someday. Uh, she just had that constant North Star of justice, and not just justice for her people, justice for anybody. And, and that desire for that North Star of justice then kept leading to bigger and bigger decisions and bigger influence. So her, then her influence as she decides, no, I'm going to move to what at the time is the Palestine mandate because she wants to be a part of this. Um, and then that gets her within the inner circle of David Ben-Gurion, which then is what leads her to being a signer of that Declaration of Independence. But she stands up to anybody when they would try and fudge around yeah. Any kind of she'll stand up to her own Jewish people. Yeah. They at one point when there was the law of return and you've got two thousand immigrants a day sometimes showing up at shores of Israel, which is like two thousand people a day showing up in the size of New Jersey. Wow. You know, this is after World War Two. And some of the Jewish people are like, Whoa, whoa, this is too many. We need to kind of hold back on this. We can't handle it. And Golda just looks at him and says, No. Uh, you know, without these people, there's no reason for us to even be here. She would not even let her people pull back on that. And it was a hor horrendous strain on their economy, of course. Would you say Ben-Gurion, who was a tough guy himself, would you say he kind of saw that true grit in Golda and entrusted into her a lot of a lot of power in the early stages of the state of Israel. Absolutely, and that's where he has that famous quote that Golda doesn't necessarily like, but where because he's now appointed Golda to be foreign minister, and you know, which is a much more abstract. It's like our Secretary of State, um, and so a lot of the men were not happy with this. They were thinking, "Oh no, it should be somebody else." And that's when Ben Gurion then makes that statement that a lot of people know. She's the best man in my cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh, you got to love that. That's good. Hey, you know, when we're, we're talking about Golda, not only was there for the independence of the state of Israel, you know, later on, 1973, she is now the prime minister of Israel, Israel's fourth prime minister. And she is watching as her state could potentially see its demise with the Yom Kippur War. How did she handle herself in those moments of darkness in, in Israel's history? It was uh, a horrendous world-scale balancing game. Her, her grief that she did not choose to have a preemptive strike like in the Six-Day War. But at the time, she had to balance out uh, Russia wanting to have their influence in the Arab countries, the United States wanting to keep their influence with the United, with the Arab countries, all because of oil. And yet, so then, you know, the uh, Israel was 
being used as a pawn in the games of the t- these two big players. And they were, of course, threatening, we won't sell you arms if you do a preemptive strike. So therefore, you know, the Yom Kippur War got off to a very bad start, um, and, you know, luckily they won. The point, though, with this, of how she handled it, was even, there was a time afterwards when her people, Israel, they're, they're furious with her, they blame her for it, even though she was exonerated uh, through, you know, a, a court system. There's a time when they're having a, a big protest. 5,000 people are out there burning an effigy of Golda. And yet she writes, but do they even realize they're able to do this because they're free to live in this country? Mm, mm. And, you know, looking at the political landscape that we have today compared to what it was like in Golda's day, how would you say Golda would handle uh, what we see today in politics if she was leading? Yeah. It would, it would be pretty clear because uh, she did always stand for justice for all people. And so any division where people have, and she would not tolerate a victim mentality. She just, she was like, just get over it and let's get on, which was part of her forgiveness and her ability and her strength and courage to just keep moving forward. So she would say something to the feminist movement. Wait a minute. It's not just women that need equal pay. All people should just be paid equally. It's got nothing to do with your gender. So she would not uh, buy into this divisiveness because she would say it doesn't work, and it doesn't. Um, you, you, It's much easier, like you said, there's a quote. says, it's easier to create a revolution than to stand for the ideals that your country is based on. That's amazing. And, and you know, you end your biography uh, really with a section called Forgiving Golda. Why did you choose to end the book with that? Because there are... Uh, one, I think because of the times when so much was written about Golda, you know, in the 70s and 80s, where things are still for this bias against her as the prime minister and laying the fault of the Yom Kippur War at her feet. And so as the Jewish people, to forgive her for that, if they would just understand the full context of that time and, and what she had to go through. But also then, too, the play on the words, forgiving Golda, oh my heavens, Golda Meir set the stage, the tone for her people to move forward. She meets with Margaret Thatcher, this woman who represents the British Empire that caused so much, you know, suffering of of her people. And yet Golda reaches out and shakes her hand and greets her. She meets with Sadat. Anwar Sadat, you know, and they joke. They're very, they're both very witty back and forth. But this is the man that, once again, the death of her people. She's got military families that she's gone to see that now have no father because of this man. And yet, you know, she reaches past that and because we must move forward. The, 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 uh, West Germany, again, 25 years after the Holocaust, they want to send an ambassador to Israel. Golda says yes. And she takes the heat for wow. that because, you know, there's a lot of Israelis, they've still got the tattoo. They've got the tattoo on the arm because they're, they're, they're the survivors of this. And they're furious that Israel would allow this ambassador to come to their country. But Golda says, no, we move forward. So this is 
setting right. the stage of forgiveness that we move ahead. We don't stay stuck in the past. Yep. And and forgiveness, I mean, uh, it's a theme. It's a theme actually we mentioned a couple weeks ago. Forgiveness is freedom. There's a freedom in forgiveness. And, and Golda was able to see beyond, you know, the events of the Holocaust and beyond, you know, even the, the wars that were happening in her time uh, to a time when there could be peace. Uh, my friends, I want to encourage you to go to Amazon.com to get your copy of Golda Meir, True Grit, written by Ann Atkins. You can go to Amazon.com. You can get it in paperback or Kindle version. You know, Ann isn't just the author of um, of a biography on Golda. You know, she's also written on Eleanor Roosevelt and Marie Curie. So I want to encourage you to go visit her page, the Ann Atkins page at Amazon.com. And, uh, and, and be sure to pick up her book. And thank you so much for spending time with us and, and enlightening us on the life and the impact and the influence of Golda Meir. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. And thanks for having this program. And the Lord said to Abram, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. The simple truth of this verse in Genesis 13 is lost to many in my generation and the generations to follow. The promises of God to Israel are still as relevant today as they were when they were written. In the news, the tiny democracy of Israel is demonized, but no matter what happens in the world, of this we can be certain, Israel will endure. Why? Because God has promised it. And in Dr. Elwood McQuaid's book, For the Love of Zion, you'll see the light of God's eternal word shine on the political and historical events of the Middle East. Discover the broad scope of controversies that lie behind the headlines. See the real issues that are seldom clarified in the struggle between Israel and its enemies. This book will help you see clearly where history is taking us. To find out more or to purchase your copy of For the Love of Zion, go to foiradio.org or call our listener line at 888-343-6940. A few years ago, I was leading a tour to Israel and our Israeli tour guide, Tito Andajar, who we've had on the program about a year ago, was sharing with the group how Israel has always had an attitude of peace toward its neighbors, even since they became a nation. And, and he shared a profound story about an undercover mission that Golda Meir went on. And I want to share that story with you because I really think this story sums up a lot of what Ann Atkins said about Golda and the title she gave her book, True Grit. Now, before Israel declared independence in 1948, the king of Jordan, King Abdullah, had a plan of his own for the entire region. Jordan, then it was named Transjordan, was dealing with unemployment, high unemployment, and a a dead economy. And for King Abdullah, he envisioned an expansion of his kingdom beyond the borders of Jordan. He wanted to take what was then called Palestine, now what we know of to be Israel, and Syria and make it one large kingdom for himself called Greater Syria. And within greater Syria, he promised to give the Jewish people autonomy. He would let them have a voice in his kingdom. But the Jewish leaders of that time, 
were looking forward to creating a Jewish state of their own. And so they rejected King Abdullah's proposal for a greater Syria. After the UN partition plan in 1947, which promised a homeland to the Jewish people, Golda Meir and King Abdullah met with one another. King Abdullah stated his intentions to Golda that he planned to annex and take the Arab villages of what was what is called the West Bank today. And Golda stated that she and others in her cabinet didn't really have a problem with his proposal as long as the as King Abdullah promised not to engage with in war with the fledgling state of Israel. And the king, he, he seemed to agree. But as the weeks went on, Golda Meir became weary of King Abdullah's promise. It seemed as though he was leaning toward joining the Arab League that was working to destroy Israel in her infancy. She even wrote in her autobiography that throughout January and February, we maintained contact with Abdullah. As the weeks passed, my messages became more worried The air was thick with conjecture, and despite his promise to me, there were reports that Abdullah was about to join the Arab League. By the spring of 1948, just prior to Israel's independence, Golda Meir was urged by Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, to attempt to meet with King Abdullah one more time, to try to persuade him to not join the Arab countries in attacking what would soon later become Israel. Countries like Lebanon, Iraq, Syria, and Egypt. Ben-Gurion knew that if Jordan joins the Arab League, it will provide an open doorway for Iraq to march right into Israel. Word gets to King Abdullah that Goldemeyer wants to meet with him, and he agrees. This time, though, the meeting would be covert and undercover. Mayor, along with Ezra Dannon, who was an intelligence expert who had family ties to King Abdullah, disguised themselves as an Arab couple traveling between the borders of British Palestine and Jordan, right into enemy lines. This was a very dangerous operation for the two. When Golda Meir and Ezra Dannon arrived, they met up with King Abdullah, urging him to back out of the Arab League. King Abdullah still had a vision for his kingdom expansion, and he tried to convince Golda to postpone statehood and to allow him to be king over the Jewish people living in Palestine. Golda rejected his proposal and reminded him of his earlier promise. And King Abdullah said this, Then I was alone, but now I am one of five, talking about the Arab League. Golda, with nothing left to offer or to say to King Abdullah, said this, War is inevitable because the Jewish people will fight for their independence. While traveling back on their way through Jordan, they drove alongside Iraqi forces who were staging themselves for war on the border. The Jordanian who was driving Goldemeyer and Ezra was nervous that he would get caught by these Iraqis, so he dropped Golda and Ezra off two miles from the border in enemy territory at three in the morning. They were fortunate to make it back safely. And only a few days later, Israel would declare their independence and go to war, pushing back five nations of the Arab League. Golda's determination to invest in a relationship with King Abdullah and to even face potential death to convince him to forego war, I think it really shows the heartbeat of not only Golda, but of Israel. They didn't want war And they were even willing to let King Abdullah annex areas of the West Bank, which did happen, land that was never his to begin with, for the sake of peace.
And my friends, that's what I call true grit. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. Recently, I was in the Orthodox section of Jerusalem when some young men recognized me and approached me. They were confident because their teachers were with them. Tell us, one student said, in which God you believe. Why are you asking me such a foolish question, I asked. Quickly, I read to them Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which they pray three times each day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They all were surprised because they thought those of us who believe in Jesus do not believe what the Bible says. You call yourself religious, I said, but you do not follow God. I follow God about whom it is written in the Bible. The teachers disliked what I said. How can you say this? I replied. Whom do you worship? In all of your synagogues you have commentaries and books but no Bibles. Then you come to me and ask me such foolish questions. One man replied, But you know you obey this man about him. It is not written in the Bible. I'm very thankful we have come so far and that you have given me this opportunity to show you where the Bible speaks about the Lord who came from Bethlehem. Where is it written that this man came from Bethlehem? Someone asked. These questions made me so happy. I quickly read to them Micah 5.2. They started to write down the Bible verses I showed them. Then I turned to the teacher, please, read this passage of Isaiah 53. No, this I will not read. You will not read it because you're afraid of the truth. If you do not want to read it, I'll be happy to. But before I began, one of the Hasidic students said, Give me the Bible, and I will read it. With great joy, I handed him my Bible, and he read the words slowly and carefully. When it came to verses 5 and 6, the students began to ask questions. What does this mean? And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. About whom is this written? one asked. Instead of answering, their teacher asked them a question. Can a virgin give birth to a child? No, the students replied. Such a thing cannot be. All of the teachers were confident. They had backed me into a corner. And then one teacher said, If you are so sure this man was born to a virgin, show these students where it is written in the Bible. If you can show that to them, I will eat my shoes. I replied, start eating. Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Read it loudly so all of your pupils can hear, I said. But when he began, he stopped quickly. He was afraid to read the passage. Instead, he told the students, We do not have time to continue. Let us go. But I would not let the students leave without hearing the truth. I handed the Bible to one of the young men, and he read the verse aloud. And as he read, everyone became still. 
They were so quiet. When he finished, I said to the teacher, Good appetite. We'd like to thank Ann Atkins for being with us today. You can purchase her book, Gold of My Ear, True Grit, at Amazon.com. We at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry have been able to share the love of the Messiah and support Israel and the Jewish people since 1938 because of generous donations from our faithful supporters. If you feel led to support our work or you simply want to reach out to us, visit foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. You can call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Or you can write to us at FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. And let us know where you're listening when you call or write. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.